you know, I had a client yesterday who had a situation who that was causing her a lot of anxiety. And she's like, I can't seem to just let it go. And I said, well, maybe it's not about letting it go. I think that you're having anxiety because I think there's a deep intuition that you know something that you're trying to tell yourself you don't know right now. What's up, everyone? Welcome or welcome back to Mom Light, the podcast dedicated to helping you mamas feel your best in body, mind, and spirit. Before we jump into today's show, a quick word about health transformations. If you have been following me for a while, you know that I wasn't always in the pinkest of health. I wasn't always happy with my body. I wasn't fit. I had weird digestion issues. I was overweight. I was teased for it. And over the years, putting my scientific brain to work, experimenting on myself, struggling, swimming upstream, climbing uphill, I found my way to vitality and joy. It has taken a few decades and it's been a journey I would never trade. It's made me who I am. It's inspired the work that I'm doing. But now I want to help you guys transform your health much more quickly than I did mine. And that's because life is short and mom life is hard and challenging and we moms don't have time to be on a plan or to sign up for something that works for eight weeks and then stops working, which is why I created the Mom Light Boot Camp. We're in the middle of the first class of the boot camp, and it has been such a rewarding, such an inspiring, such an uplifting experience for me as the health coach, and hopefully for my clients as well, who really seem to be experiencing the transformation that I envisioned for them. We are putting cutting edge science into practice, taking action. I'm holding people accountable to take action because it's one thing to know what to do and why to do it, but it's another thing to actually do it and see the results and the transformation. So if you are looking for a health transformation of body, mind and spirit, if you want to leverage cutting edge science to make health more attainable in busy, busy mom life, if you always want to be on the plan, never off the plan and still have fun and still feel joy and still eat delicious, spiced, amazing food, this boot camp could be for you. If you're interested in learning more, just send me an email at kanchan.koya at gmail.com or send me a direct message on Instagram. I'm recruiting for the second class of the boot camp, which launches in a couple of weeks. It's a small group online health coaching transformation that is aimed to take you to new heights of health vitality. It would be my pleasure to be your guide. So just wanted to put that out there. And now, to the show. Today on the show, we are talking about something that I know many moms and non-moms struggle with, anxiety. Anxiety can truly be vitality sapping. And today on the show, we have a very special guest who has had her own share of struggles with anxiety and is now dedicated to helping others find their way through the labyrinth and the mess that is anxiety, depression, and other limiting beliefs and thought patterns and programming that hold us back. Amrit Sadhana's path to wellness started from a young age. She was raised in a yogic home where early mornings, meditation, and cold showers were a part of her everyday life. 
She went on to live her life, received her BA in voice performance from the University of Oregon, and moved to Los Angeles. It was here that she worked for a holistic chiropractor, and her passion for health and wellness was relit. She has found that no matter how much trauma you survive, how depressed or anxious you are, how hopeless you feel, you can heal and live in joy in your body, mind, and spirit. You can conquer all the fears and programming that are holding you back and follow your deepest dreams. It was her experience in changing her relationship with her own anxiety that inspired her to help others to do the same. She uses her lifelong experience with yoga and meditation and her deep knowledge of food and nutrition to give you a grounded base in which to work from. She's committed to a career in helping others heal, fall in love with themselves, and live their absolute best life. Amr Sadna attended the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, just like me, and here we are. She's going to be amazing on Mom Light. I can't wait to dive into this conversation. She is truly a passionate, compassionate, and supportive coach who is here to help you find peace and joy in your life. Amrit Sadhna, welcome to Mom Light. Hi, thank you. So great to have you on the show and so excited to chat about your life and your name, <laughs> work and anxiety and so much amazing stuff. So yeah, let's start with the name. When okay. I first, uh, I think when I first got on the phone with you or on, on Zoom with you before we started the podcast, I asked you, how, how, would you, how do you like to be called? And you said Amrit Sadhna. And I was like, oh, okay, I can say that. And I'm Indian. So tell us about Amrit Sadhna because you're not from India. I am not from India. So I was raised in a yogic community. So there was a man who came over from, from Punjab in um, 1969 and brought Kundalini yoga and meditation to the United States. And a lot of hippies joined the movement and ended up adopting Sikhism as their religion. And so there's a generation of us children who were born into that, who have Sikh names. And um, so I would say the the number of white Sikhs in the United States have started to dwindle a little bit. Um, but I just also think religion in general is dwindling a little bit. And so um, that's kind of, that's where it came from. So it was, it was given to me by, by him. Amazing. You know, I'm Sindhi, um, which is a community of India, Indians from the Sindh province, which is in Pakistan. So everyone's always a little bit confused, like where we Sindhis come from. But I mean, I'm, I'm from India. My parents came over to India after partition, but we subscribe very much to spots of Sikhism and, um, you know, yeah, it's like I grew up with some of the Sikh scriptures. And so like, I love the music of Snatham Or. Yeah, she's actually a dear, dear friend of mine. I've known her since I was very young. Oh my gosh, her music yeah. is beautiful. If my listeners haven't listened. Um, yeah, she's incredible. Elevated music. It is. Wow, so what a cool childhood. Um, so yeah, tell me about your journey to wellness and how that whole childhood and experience in a yoga community influenced your path? Yeah, absolutely. I am super grateful for the consciousness that I was raised with um, and um, wellness being a part of that. Like I was, I don't have that story of like, I had some, some crazy illness that came out of nowhere and I, and I found the wellness path. I kind of have been on it since I was very young. And so I was the weirdo in high school that made fun of got made fun of for meditating and doing yoga and being vegetarian and reading ingredients and food. And, um, that being said, life also happened and I've also had a lot of trauma. And so 
within that, I'm super grateful for having those tools that have given me the ability to continue on a healing path. Um, and it was, you know, it wasn't all good. There's, <laughs> there's, there's some things of, of being rela- raised in a religious community, um, especially as a, as a young woman. Um, there's lots of judgments put on us and our bodies. And um, so, so there was that. And there's a lot of, um, you know, when you're raised within a... So like Sikhism is not real wide known in the United States unless you know somebody really is kind of how it goes, even though it's the fifth largest religion in the world. So there's that. But then within that, the, the smaller community that we lived in, in some senses would have a very cult-like essence to it. And so there is, there is some of that trauma as well that I've worked on healing. I'm super grateful. I, I connect with what, I, what, what works for me now and I let go of the rest and I just live my life. And I will say that having that realization and just taking steps to continue healing has been really profound to be able to step outside and be like, you know what, that doesn't work for me, but this does. And it's okay for me to pick and choose. Yeah. Wow. So fascinating. Um, So it sounds like you were able to be conscious sort of a physical health and even mental health in some sense with meditation practice and a lot of the other practices that you just grew up with and were fortunate enough to be exposed to at a young age, but you still had your own journey through struggles of anxiety and other kind of trauma. And now you work with clients on anxiety and healing trauma. Mm-hmm. And so tell us a little bit about that practice. Like when and how did you decide you were going to basically dedicate your work to this area? And um, yeah, um, you know, would love to learn more about that. Yeah, I, I have struggled. Um, so I have PTSD from my childhood and I've struggled with anxiety and um, for probably most of my life. And I would say in college, it probably kind of came to a head. Um, and then I used, I, I had therapy and I also used tools that I had to help me cope and help heal it. And then I would say about three years ago, I had some heavy stuff happen again that, that really triggered this PTSD in me. And, um, again, I was given the opportunity to seek out tools that, that really helped me. And so, um, I noticed that people started coming to me and asking me what I do for my anxiety because I hear a lot that I have a very like calm energy, which to me was like, really? I feel like I'm a mess all the time. <laughs> Thanks for the Wow. <laughs> and so um, I kind of have always, I've worked in healthcare, I've worked for a holistic chiropractor now for um, probably about six years. And um I've taught yoga and meditation for a really long time. And I've always kind of been the person that people come to for like, Hey, what do I take for this? Or you seem to know lots of random things. Like, what do I do for this? Or do you have a meditation or know of a meditation for this? And so I started, and of course I dealt with imposter syndrome for a very long time and still do sometimes. And I I started looking into programs to get some kind of license or certification so that I felt within myself confident in what I was doing. So I went to Institute for Integrative Nutrition and so did I. <laughs> <laughs> you did too? It's funny. All the people with imposter syndrome end up doing that program to feel like they're somehow more qualified. And we, we can talk about that. It's yes. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I mean it's been a it's it's one or it's a wonderful program. Um, you know, everything has its flaws, but I'm super grateful that it 
that it was there and gave me a lot of tools um, and really helped me work on boundaries because that was something I had an issue with with clients. It's just giving them so much time. Um, so I did that and then I started, I just started kind of, um, promoting myself and, and letting people know that I was available for sessions and it's kind of just grown from there. Um, for, for anxiety work, it really does differ from person to person. Sometimes it is important for people to find the specific trigger, the specific thing. And sometimes that's it's not always important and it's more about learning how to fight the, um, I call it the like abominable snowball effect <laughs> that can happen in our minds mm-hmm. um, when we are triggered and then like we just continue that cycle of trigger until we're like in a full-fledged panic attack. So um, I make it very clear to people that it's not about living an anxiety-free life because that doesn't exist because anxiety is a normal nervous system response if we... Mm-hmm need it, but there are ways to differentiate between, is this a real threat in my face right now? Or is this something that's reminding me of something else that maybe was once a real threat? And how can I bring myself to the present moment and, and calm myself? And, and when clients get that, when they finally get to a place where they can actually bring themselves down, they're so proud of themselves and they feel like they can take on the world. Yeah. Um, wow, so much to unpack there. You know, imposter <laughs> syndrome, we've all had it. I had it. I had a PhD in molecular biology and I wanted to help people be healthier. And I was like, I don't know, like anything about, you know, coaching or nutrition, but I had struggled a lot with my own health, just like you have struggled with anxiety yourself. Sometimes that is the best teacher, not to say that there isn't room for study and learning new things. So it is really interesting um, because in the beginning of the conversation, you said, you know, you grew up with wellness, but we do, I find this common theme in the podcast because I talk to so many women who are you know, of service to the world in the health and wellness space. And very often it's because they've had a struggle of their own, which just results in so much deep empathy and compassion for people who struggle with that same syndrome that it's almost like unavoidable as a calling to be of service in that space. Right. It's for so me, true. It was like physical health, weight, weight issues, gut issues. You know, for some people like yourself, it's like mental um, wellness issues. So it is really like a fascinating common denominator that keeps coming up. Um, I wanted to ask because we've talked about this on the show. We've talked about anxiety on the show before. It's a common um, challenge for a lot of mothers, whether it's postpartum, mm-hmm. hormone induced, or just like life circumstance induced, or sometimes just the way your brain and you know your physiology is wired, right? Yeah. I mean, we know that, like you said, anxiety is a part of the normal nervous system response. It's a good thing we have it because it can be very protective. You know, if we were always in a state of bliss and being chased by some kind of <laughs> tiger, we wouldn't make it. Right. Exactly. It's good that we can recognize a threat. <laughs> and then some of us have just brain physiology and biochemistry that overreacts to threats that may yeah. be innocuous to others, right? So do you feel that you have a sort of anxiety prone brain wiring or do you think it's really the trauma that you faced as a child, like with some of the issues you talked about, or do you think it's a combination of the two? I think it's probably kind of a combination of the two. I don't know if you're familiar with epigenetics at all and the the idea. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so the idea yeah, that... Tell the audience. They, I yeah. Mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. So epigenetics are the idea that we can pass down... Um, conditioning trauma it, like it actually can change our dna up to two generations so like say i don't work through 
trauma or anxiety or something in my life and I have a child and then she has a grandchild, it might skip my child, but that grandchild might actually still have some of my wiring because it's actually become part of our DNA. Yeah. And, and I would just add because of my like nerdy biology. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> No, I mean, it's this idea that we have DNA in the form of like, you know, the cytosine, timing, adenine, guanine bases, but then we can also literally chemically modify that DNA structure with methyl groups. And this can actually change um, the expression of genes. And this is, so, and this is influenced by the environment, including yeah. stressful events in life or emotional stressors. So, you know, it's not like woo-woo. It really is. Oh can be traced to serious biochemistry. So what you're talking about is this kind of epigenetic modification of your DNA that is influenced by stress, trauma, life circumstances, which can then get passed on. Um, and so, yeah, it is really, that's a really interesting point that you bring yeah. up. So both of my parents had very traumatic childhoods. And so, um, I think that there's that in there. And then I also had a very traumatic childhood. So I think that there was, it was what I came in with it and, and there was some wiring. And then I also think that children who suffer severe trauma in their developmental years, their brains get wired for trauma. Um, I had a therapist tell me once that, you know, like, she's like, um, how, how fast do you like make a catastrophe out of something? And I'm like, oh, so you mean like, you know, if I'm sitting in my living room and I feel the floor shake and then I think that the big tsunami's coming and we're all gonna die. And she's like, Yeah, that she said, You're you're used you're used to like going to worst case scenario because worst case scenario happened to you. And so you're trying to be one step ahead of that and you're trying to prepare yourself for that. And you also have a way higher tolerance for discomfort in your life than people who haven't experienced um that any type of trauma or like like less not as intense of trauma right wow i mean and you also you know i think so i have worked with clients um on the sort of physical and obviously like diet and lifestyle interventions even for mental health and you know they suffered from this kind of debilitating anxiety and this like always going to the worst case scenario uh, sort of mindset but they couldn't really trace it back to childhood trauma mm -hmm. like childhood was perfect. And so it again brings up this epigenetics point. Absolutely. Their childhood was perfect. I mean, whatever that means, but you know, there's no obvious explanation for right. why they feel this like deep, devastating, debilitating kind of chronic anxiety. And so I guess the message to listeners is it doesn't always, it cannot always be traced maybe to something exactly. obvious in childhood. It may have something to do that was passed on epigenetically. It may be something to do with your wiring, you know, combination of things. So, um, but it is, it is a real phenomenon. It feels very real when you are just constantly overwhelmed by the sense of like, oh my gosh, the tsunami is coming. Yeah. And that's why I tell people it depends on the person. It, I don't, you know, some people who work with people with anxiety are like, oh, it's always important to find the source. It's always important to find the source. And well, I think for some people that might be the case, but like you just said, like some people might not know their source. Some people literally wake up and out of nowhere, they start having panic attacks and they have no idea why. And, you know, you, we have to remember there's constant accosting happening to us in the news and in the media. And, um, there's constant stimulation going on on our on Instagram and on on social media and and just around us and we've become so disconnected from our bodies. I I really do believe that we are most anxious when we are disconnected or disassociated from our bodies because if you notice, like yes, anxiety 
you feel it in your body, but it, it has a very high feeling. Like you feel ungrounded, you feel out of your body, you feel out of control. And so if you can get back into your body and you can feel your breath, I, I think that our breath is our number one tool when it comes to um, anxiety management, because when you have nothing else, you have your breath. And if you can learn to control that breath, you can learn to calm the voice in your head and calm the anxiety because you, your mind can't go insane and focus on breathing at the same time. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I like to think that you know, all of us have a little bit of a predisposition to anxiety. There's a gradient. Like you said, it's a normal nervous system response. And I notice I have a toolkit. I have subconsciously built this toolkit that I can deploy when I feel you know, the anxiety is knocking. In my case, it's usually pretty subtle. My wiring happens to be in the optimistic, <laughs> sometimes unrealistically optimistic territory. Other wiring is more anxiety prone. My father's wiring is more like optimism prone. It's it's just interesting. Um, and what I'm, I guess the point is we ha- we have a toolkit and we can deploy it. So let's talk about some of those tools. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, because they can be so powerful and such game changers. So so the breath. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the science is so compelling about the power of the breath to calm the central nervous system, to calm that amygdala and that like fight or flight, like panic response. So specifically, what do you recommend people do with their breath? Yeah. So when you're, so I'll I'll share several because the, the reality is the world of breath work is huge and there's so many different things and there's so many, you know, like, like Westerners, and I'm speaking as if I'm not a Westerner, but Westerners have an idea of yoga that's about this big. I realize I'm showing you when nobody can see this, but you know, like it's, it's a sliver of the pie of, of what yoga is. And, and historically, yoga originally was pretty much just sitting in meditation and doing breath work. And then it evolved into kriyas and asanas and, and all the things that we do. But we still, in, in the West, we still don't understand the whole pie. We still are just tapping into a little piece of it, which is wonderful. I think the more people we can get to meditate and do yoga, the better. But um, I mean, even you probably know just yoga in India is a totally different, (laughs) just a totally different culture. Um, Yeah, less focused on the physical. I mean, there is asana and physical practice, but like you said, it's almost like the physical practice is meant to be a preparation for being able to sit meditation for long periods of time. Um, And that's what kundalini yoga is. Kundalini yoga, you do a kriya or a set that there's all, which is what I was raised with. Um, You know, there's, there's a kriya for everything you could possibly want and you do that and then you meditate because what you want to do is you want to activate your, you want to get your nerve, you want to get your fight or flight nervous system kind of like activated, which is what we do when we like exercise and stuff. And then once you stop and you breathe your your parasympathetic nervous system settles in. And so that's what's activated when we meditate. And so if you can flex that muscle more often than not, when you are going into panic, you can open that toolkit and be like, okay, how can I make this a meditation? And so the very first thing I tell people is say you're in a complete panic attack and you feel like you can't catch your breath. I, um, always recommend breathing in and out through the nose because it's, um, it's more focused than through your breath and through your mouth. It's very easy to hyperventilate. 
through your nose, it's not as easy. And so I just hope people inhale to two, exhale to two. When that feels comfortable, inhale to three, exhale to three. And you get there, four, and keep going until you can get to eight. And you can inhale, hold for a moment at the top, exhale to eight. And that will start to calm everything down. Um, that's just a very simple one when you're like in the craziness of it. When you start to feel anxiety coming on, one of my favorite breaths is an eight-stroke breath. And it's basically you inhale eight strokes through your nose, which sounds like it's a... And then you do one long stroke through your nose. And that immediately puts you in your body, immediately connects you to your breath and immediately de-stresses your, your mind and your body. And so I tell people set a timer for three minutes and just do that breath for three minutes. Um, and that can be really, really beneficial and, and connect you in. And it's, it's one of those things where you can excuse yourself and go to the bathroom and do it wherever. Um, and then um, left nostril breathing is extremely beneficial for when you are um, anxious, when you're feeling stressed, when, you're, um, you, when you want to relax. You just, you just simply plug your right nostril and inhale. I like to say to the count of four, eight through your nose, hold at the top for a few seconds and exhale. Through to the count of eight through your left nostril. Um, Nadi Shodana is great, that balances, but if, if you're specifically wanting to do like calming um, anxiety breath, I say do just the left nostril breathing. Fascinating. Yeah, I've talked about Nadi Shodana because I do it. Um, the alternate nostril breathing, yeah. something I just learned in yoga. And the other one that I learned was the box breathing or square breathing, yeah. which is funny because I always tell my mom who has trouble sleeping and she's like, I feel like I'm going to die because I can't like, hold my breath. <laughs> so I love that you um, simplified it and just said, you know, breathe to the count of two and out to the count of two and then three and then four. And then that's so amazing. All these amazing, simple kind of just breath work techniques um yeah. we have access to our breath 20 we do and it's free <laughs> it's free and you know something else that i noticed and i think i um heard a, a doctor talk about this an, an integrative practitioner she said you know we're so used especially women we're so used to like sucking in our tummies because uh -huh. we like need it whatever we need this sort of you know we need to have it sucked in and so we're always having this shallow breath that um, doesn't even allow our diaphragm to expand. Yeah, we breathe up here. <laughs> right. And so when you are doing this kind of breath work to relax the nervous system, like let the belly expand, you know, there's so much like restorative kind of benefit in that. Yeah. I tell a lot of times I'll tell people to put their hand on their navel and actually fill their hand with their belly so that they can feel the rise and fall. And that leads to the next tool that I tell people, which is get in your body. And, and the breathing is the quickest way to, but go outside and take a walk or do some stretching or like literally like sit down and physically just like take a moment to like run your hands up your arms and run your hands up your legs and on your belly and and physically get in your body. I know for women especially it can be extremely painful and uncomfortable for us to be in our body, but your body never lies to you and your mind will lie to you all the time. And so if you can sit in quiet and listen to what your body is actually telling you, sometimes that anxiety does have some information for you. Sometimes it's totally lying to you. So it's, if you can get into your body and connect in and just feel for even just a moment 
and quiet that noise, that can be a very powerful way of, of getting out of the anxiety. Yeah, Eckhart Tolle, um, I think in The Power of Now, talks about the pain body, right? And like this idea that like we never really enter our body. It's always yeah. a mental story that we're following about what we should or shouldn't be feeling. And sometimes the body has these feelings, whether it's in the form of resistance or pain or discomfort. And sometimes instead of feeling the need to trace that back to some root cause, which I mean, can you can, sometimes is traceable, but very often... It's just enough to sit with the sensation. It's like energy, right? It's just like exactly. stagnated energy or energy that needs to be paid attention to and ultimately released or just allowed to flow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that you brought that up because so how often do we sit there and just feel through our body? Almost I mean, we're not taught to. <laughs> right. You know, we're taught our minds are so important, which they are. Our minds are these amazing tools and gifts that we've been given, but the the body i truly truly believe that the body knows everything and the body stores everything and so when our mind is trying to tell us something if you just check in with your body and and say you know i had a client yesterday who had a situation who that was causing her a lot of anxiety and she's like i can't seem to just let it go and i said well maybe it's not about letting it go i think that you're having anxiety because there's a, I think there's a deep intuition that, that you know something that you're trying to tell yourself you don't know right now. And I said, can you tell the difference between like gut level anxiety that's like actually giving you a message and like anxiety, anxiety of like being in your head? And she's like, yeah, like the gut level anxiety is like you feel it in your gut. It's a gut feeling, whereas the other anxiety is just you feel like you're out of control. And I said, that's a really powerful tool for you to know that like, Sometimes the reason we have anxiety is because we are telling ourselves that we don't know what we know. We, we don't know that intuition we're hitting or we don't want to share with people because of fear of judgment. And sometimes it's really powerful to just say, okay, I know what I know. I'm going to trust that and I'm going to listen to that while doing these other things to also take care of myself and protect myself. Yeah. Intuition. We all have it. We've lost our connection to it um, keeps coming up and just such a great reminder to lean in, listen in and pay attention. Um, So much power and wisdom there. So breath is very powerful. Um, I imagine food is powerful. Oh my God. (laughs) Food is so powerful. And I would say, even though there's so much calling out of like diet culture and stuff on, on social media right now, in the wellness community, there's like a whole nother food fear (laughs) diet culture thing that's happening. Right. And I think that some people have so much anxiety about food, especially if they're recovering from um, any type of disordered eating or eating disorder, it can be a very anxious topic for them. And so I truly teach my clients to go with the way of intuitive eating and learning how to really listen to what their body's asking for. We've become so good at telling our bodies they don't innately know what they need. Mm-hmm. And we have and to some influencer or guru or yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so food is, is huge. I mean, you know, just as much as I do, spices are huge in, in what we put in our body that help, you know, extra inflammation in the body can help, can cause anxiety. Um, eating things that, that mess up our gut and then you don't feel good all the time, then, then you become anxious around food. There's so many aspects. And so really connecting to the food you're eating and making sure that it actually feels good and not just eating it because, you know, you think that 
you need to, or because somebody told you to, but because your body is actually asking for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if we go back to the basics though, I remember, um, looking into the connection between food and anxiety and studies. And it seems like most studies looking at food and mental health have focused on depression. Mm-hmm like some overlap between depression, anxiety, panic disorder. And I think ultimately it really comes down to very simple takeaways, which don't sound very sexy or exciting, but it's like eat real food as close to the earth as possible. Processed food is bad. It Mm -hmm. probably contributes to anxiety. Um, It's highly palatable. So, you know, the point that you brought up about like what feels good, sometimes that can be clouded by just like highly palatable, like in the short term, hitting all the dopamine, you know, receptors, junk. But like just reminding the listeners that if we can just go back to real whole food as close to the earth as possible, that's just a fantastic place to start. Um, and then, like you said, not to get so caught up in what you should be eating, but what then feels good within that canvas of real food, what feels good for you and your bio-individual nature. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the spices. And we talked a little bit about some of the Ayurvedic herbs, which I'd love to talk about. So what are some of the things that you recommend to your clients who are struggling with anxiety um, in terms of natural remedies? Um So ashwagandha is a beautifully powerful, wonderful Ayurvedic herb. It's probably one of the more popular ones besides Tulsi that like everybody's kind of like really aware of in the West now. It's like exploded. I literally get ashwagandha from every company in some sort of form. I'm like, I know. And you have to be careful because these things are coming out of India where there's a lot of heavy metals and... Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. He sprayed on them. And, you know, so I really do... People reach out to me and they're like, well, some of these herbs are, are pricey. And I say, I, re- I, I get that. And there are some companies that are really good that are more affordable. Like um, Himalaya is a great um, is a great company that's organic and, and they, they test everything and that I feel like is affordable. But... You know, I reached out to Sun Potion years ago when they started to kind of come on the scene. And I said, hey, can you show me your tests? Can you show me um, that it's free of heavy metals and that it's safe and that it's organic? And they said, yeah, we actually, we test at the site. We test again once we get back to the lab and then we test again before we send it out. And um, they were more than happy to give me the research on that. So I think it's really important for people to understand that while some of these herbs might seem... um, like an investment up front, A, you take a, a very small amount every day. And B, if you're going to get something that's not coming from a really trusted good source, you might as well not take it because the, 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 the heavy, it's not worth heavy metal poisoning. <laughs> Absolutely. Gosh, we talked about, we've talked about heavy metals. I mean, cacao powder, which I love is often laced with heavy metals and many companies don't test or will just be very kind of, you know, opaque about their process. So yes, ask the company and they should be willing to share results. And thank you for sharing those brands. I I know both of them. Um, Himalaya is very popular in India and so <laughs> stuff and seems like really high quality. So let's talk about ashwagandha because it is like exploding and it's everywhere. It's in teas. It's in, I don't know, coffee. I saw it in something the other day and I was like, really? Really? I, do we need ashwagandha in that? <laughs> I know. So it is, so it's, it's an ancient Ayurvedic herb right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And root. Root. How do people think, so So why does it, why is it so popular for anxiety? What is it thought to do? It is, so it has a 
calming effect on the nervous system. It helps to balance your hormones, which is another component of anxiety, especially specifically for women, um, which is why a lot of moms have postpartum anxiety because their hormones, people have no clue how many hormones are pumping through a new mom's body. <laughs> Unless you're a new mom and you're like, I feel crazy right now. Unless you That's feel, yeah, happening. yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and, um, I mean, the list of benefits for ashwagandha, they, they can go on and on and on, but the, the term literally means smell of a horse. And it's, it's believed in, in uh, ancient Ayurveda to give you the strength and the vigor of, of a male horse. And so it's good for your libido. They used to mix it with milk and honey to help strengthen the uterine wall for women. Wow. So um, it's also one of the, the highest forms of bioavailable iron. So it's really, it is really great for women. The only contraindication that I've found in research is if you have hyperthyroidism, um, it can have kind of an overly stimulating effect on you rather than a calming effect and um, can make you feel a little bit more insane. So that's, that's the time when I would say to stay away from it. It's also not really supported in, in taking in, in pregnancy. Um, mm-hmm. cause just not a, a lot of research around it, but it, it's power. I think it's really powerful. And I think that's probably why it's so popular because, um, people notice the effects of it pretty quickly from taking it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's a great one. And, you know, I think there's a lot of research now coming out to corroborate some of these ancient claims um, and like effects on cortisol and just the general stress response. So, and great point about how sometimes it doesn't work or it works in the opposite way. And I was telling yeah. you before we jumped on the call that my mom has been taking ashwagandha and finding that it's not calming her down and not letting her sleep at night. And she does have, she takes external thyroid medicine and her thyroid is elevated. So that's such an interesting point. So what would be some of the other kind of natural remedies that you have found are helpful for you and that you recommend to clients? Absolutely. Uh, reishi is great. It's, it's, um, it's similar to ashwagandha in a lot of its properties. It is a functional mushroom. It's been used in Chinese medicine for a very long time. It's, it's known as queen of the plants. It's kind of this superpower. It's one of the most anti-cancer mushrooms that's out there. It helps balance hormones. It helps with depression and anxiety. And you know, those two kind of sit right next to each other. Um, you know, we're depressed and the anxiety will get numbed and then the depression lifts a little and then the anxiety goes and crazy goes crazy and it kind of ends up going in a circle for a lot of people um and so reishi is a great one to add you can get that in tincture or extract form and um, get like reishi hot chocolate i think from four sigmatic which that one's really good <laughs> yeah this is how powerful reishi is and, and specifically for sigmatic they i will drink that at night sometimes and every morning that i wake up after drinking that i'm like i had the best night's sleep last yeah, night i'm gonna try it because i have some <laughs> i sleep pretty really well does. but i mean i'm willing to go deeper <laughs> and then um uh, CBD can be great. Again, be careful. I was just going to ask about CBD. Oh my gosh. I'm going to say something funny about CBD. Um, I consider myself, I think pretty sensitive. Like I'm a pretty sensitive person when things work or don't work. I can feel them pretty quickly. Like whether it's spices, herbs, food, whatever. I'm just more, I'm quite in tune with my body. Thankfully now CBD for me is like massively effective. I mean, it's so same. 
I literally, it, I feel like it's too strong for me. Like I need to take very little and it makes me so mellow. Yeah. Um, it really calms my nervous system down. And there was a fascinating piece in the New York Times last month about all the science that's emerging at breakneck speed about CBD and how it's just, we've just, it's just the tip yeah. of the iceberg, really. It is a fascinating compound. Um, we're just going to see a lot more emerging. About I mean, I heard I that. Ask and you brought it up. So, yes. Bud Light is coming out of the CBD beer. So, I mean, if we're, get, we're at that point. <laughs> Wow. I was at a CBD um, event last night. <laughs> I had a CBD infused cocktail and I was like, this is very relaxing. Um, so yeah, tell us about CBD and like, <laughs> have you found it effective? Do your clients find it effective and how best do you suggest people sort of play with it? I, yeah, I find it very effective. I have found um, sourcing matters. Finding a company that works for you matters. Um, I have a specific company that I like called Preemptive. And the reason I love them is because their carrier oil is actually um, organic hemp seed oil. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like giving you that little extra push from the, from the hemp seed. Um, a lot of times MCT oil can have a negative effect on people's guts and that's what's actually being used as a carrier in a lot of the CBD oils. Um, so if you've tried CBD and it hurts your stomach, I would recommend finding um, a different brand that maybe uses a different carrier oil. Um, but yeah, I find it very effective. I, uh, my clients find it very effective. A lot of clients who are moms who just feel like they're going insane with anxiety during the day, um, they'll take it in the morning and they'll take it at night. And, and so this like, is typically like sublingual, okay. like under the tongue. Yeah. 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 I do a, t- I use a, it's a, it comes usually, um, in a vial. You can get, um, capsules too, but I just, I just take, I just take I think it. the oil seems to be very effective and quick. And then also people, I think, I guess the vape is an option. Like, um, if you want, you just want a stronger, quicker kind of effect. Yes. Yeah. Again, sometimes the oil, the lungs don't love oil being inhaled into them. So if it works for you, I say, do it. If it doesn't try, try the, I, I really do think the best vehicle is in the, in the drops. Yeah. Amazing. Um, my father-in-law actually suffers from Parkinson's and, um, I just sent him some, um, finally Florida legalized it, I think. And so he's been doing the oils for sleep, uh, just sublingually. Um, so a lot, I think there's going to be a lot on CBD and, um, it's a really interesting one to, to, to try, you know, I think it's such a powerful medicine. I mean, I take it, um, I take it for menstrual cramps. Mm -hmm. I take it if I have a headache, I take, like, I use it like I used to use ibuprofen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a powerful anti-inflammatory. anti-inflammatory. Exactly. Right. And then, um, for spices, cardamom has actually got some pretty amazing, first of all, cardamom is the most amazing spice. It's the bomb. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't know about cardamom, they just, know they're, if they're listening to this show, they know it's like, <laughs> otherwise they have to unsubscribe. It's divine. Um, I, sometimes I'll just open up my like ground cardamom container and like take a whiff because it smells like heaven to me. But, um, Cardamom has some pretty amazing research behind um, helping with anxiety and depression. It's an analgesic. It helps with oral health. It helps with digestion. It's cooling to the system. So if you deal with a little bit too much pitta or a little too much fire in your system, it's a really good one to add. Um, And it's just, it makes everything taste better. (laughs) 
Yeah, so luxurious and dessert-like, even if it doesn't have sugar. Yes. That. And it actually, um, I put it in my coffee in the morning. Um, years ago, I read a study that it, it decreases the acidity. Um, yes, in- you DM me on Instagram about that because I was yeah. talking cold brew being less acidic. I know in the Middle East, they use it in coffee and you just find it, it has a slightly less sort of intense effect. Exactly. So interesting. That's a great one. I think cinnamon, there may be some evidence um, when I was doing some research that it might have some sort of... Ginger is an anti-inflammatory, so yeah. that's going any to... Anything that's anti-inflammatory is going... Because if you think about anxiety as inflammation of like the mind... <laughs> yes, yes. Kind of, you know, so it's... it's Ginger's gonna anything that's kind of calming to the the body, which most spices are, are except for chilies, um, can be more stimulating. But um, yeah, ginger's a really good one too. Amazing. Um, yeah, and you know, I just had to bring up also, and, and I know you probably you know this, but um, the connection between the gut microbiome and anxiety and brain health is also very fascinating area of research. And the whole gut brain axis, the second brain, the fact that so much serotonin is produced in the gut and the receptors. Of our serotonin inhibitors live in our gut. Right. And so, um, you know, just really paying attention to that whole food, real food, fiber rich based diet, rich in plants, whether or not you, you know, you eat animal products, like really focusing on the plant kingdom and really fostering and nourishing that microbiome, which can really affect brain and mental health and anxiety. Yeah. And for my power we have basically. Um, in terms of what we can do between breath, food, spices, herbs. What about exercise? I will say right off the bat, for me, that is a game changer when it comes to mental health. I don't, like I said, I don't have debilitating anxiety, but I'm a mom, I'm busy, I have, you know, I'm doing too many things. For me, exercise is just the ultimate sort of anti-anxiety relief. Um, Do you find that to be the case? And do you think you know, certain types of exercise. Like, again, we have to listen to our bodies. Maybe not the same kind of workout is relieving to everyone. What are your thoughts on exercise? I couldn't agree with you more. I do think it's one of the um, best tools that we have, like right at our fingertips. I find that my body needs hard, intense cardio several times a week and also needs a balance of like um, sculpting or like yoga or something like that as well. Those days when I'm really, like if I say I have a really anxious day, because I, even as an anxiety coach, I have life and, and stressful things come along. And, you know, just this year, you know, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and my a grandfather that was close to me passed, passed away and I've just had a lot of stuff going on. And so really like that intense cardio where you get the heck out of your head and you just sweat. And then like, if you do that and then you meditate, you're going to feel amazing because you know, that feeling you have after you work out where it's just like the whole body relaxes. It's the best time to meditate. So there's, there's a reason we do Shavasana after yoga. So you can activate that, that parasympathetic nervous system. So whether you know, for some people getting out and walking a mile every day or even just 10 minutes is, is all they need or doing some stretching or putting on some music you really love and just like dancing around your house or your apartment. Um, I think everybody needs to find a movement discipline that works really well for them. Be flexible in it, but it is, it is an absolute key to living a less anxious life. Yeah. Um, so many, I mean, absolutely couldn't agree more. So many of my listeners predominantly are mothers and they're probably thinking like, I don't have time. I know. Um, you know, so, so 10 minutes. Be, 
Exactly. So what would be your tips for people who are going to say time (laughs) to do all these things? I tell my clients, tell yourself you're going to do 10 minutes. And if you do more, that's great. But if you just get the 10 minutes in, that's 10 minutes more than you would have done. And that's when you put the kids in a stroller and you take them to a park and you walk around the park or you put music on and you dance with your kids or you put on a yoga video and, and you have them join you. Um, prioritizing, I, I under, I'm not a mom yet. And so I don't fully, I mean, I have tons of friends who are moms. And so I, I see how stressed out there and I see how overwhelming it, it can be. But we have this idea in our society that moms have to be stressed in a way, like they carry it all. And if you give yourself 10 to 15 minutes a day to move your body, I guarantee you're going to be a better mom and you're going to be less stressed out. And you're going to be able to be more present because you're working through your own stuff in those 15 minutes. Amazing point. We do carry this idea that we are all stressed and that's okay and we should be. And that's just like the little mom MO, but no. I mean, come on, <laughs> we can do I mean, look that. Look at it, you know, in like, say for India, for example, you know, you have your, the grandmas and the aunties and everybody's helping. And so while yes, they might still be stressed, it's not, it's not the same way as it is here where it's like the mom is doing everything. Yeah. It's impossible. You know, it, it just reminded me about a point, um, that I want to bring up, which is anxiety seems to be on the rise, especially in the West. Like everybody's talking about it. We've had four or five guests on the show talk about anxiety, whether it's something they've suffered from themselves or they work in the space, you know. Um, and I'm like, what's going on? And I think the other day I was listening to something or reading something and it was talking about this idea of like, at the end of the day, like we're all here seeking connection. Human, you know, our innate desire is to be here on planet Earth seeking connection. We need connection to feel like we belong to a tribe, like we're protected, we're safe. And you bring up this point about like in India, um, I grew up in India and I honestly don't think my mom was that anxious, as, as anxious as I am, because it was a village. She had a village. We had, you know, we lived with my grandparents. My aunts were like five minutes away. There were always people kind of coming through the house. There was so much support. She wasn't doing everything herself. And there was connection. There's constant connection. Sometimes when you don't, even when you don't want to connect with anyone, you're like, I got a house full of relatives. My Indian listeners will know what I mean. Um, I know how it goes. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you're like, just, I need, I need a minute alone. <laughs> but yeah, I just feel like you know, that is such a real challenge in the West. I mean, I live here now. I'm in Brooklyn. I have, I'm very social. I'm very outgoing. I have a lot of friends, but it's like work to foster a connection. And it's so easy as moms or even non-moms to just get disconnected and feel like really alone in a crowded city. And that's got to be contributing to the anxiety epidemic. I... I mean, you, you nailed it right there. Like people, we cannot survive alone. It is human existence to have connection and community. I mean, you, you hear about those people who like, you know, move off by themselves and live in the middle of nowhere and have have no human contact and they die and they die. They don't even know what, like they'll just find them and they're, you know, they're not that old. They, you need people to support you. You need people to see you. You need to feel uplifted. You need to uplift others. It is an absolute need. And while I think that Instagram is this beautiful tool, I've met so many incredible real life friends on there now. It also gets us out of reality and it puts us into this tiny little box and we no longer are like, 
was talking about somebody about dating the other day. It's like the only way to meet people is on a dating app now because you don't go to like community events and a friend's like, hey, I have this single friend and you want to meet. And it do- that doesn't exist anymore. That This idea of community is is kind of getting lost. And I think we need to fight that with everything we have because I think that that is the essence to us really like getting our culture back and, and getting you know, everybody's against each other right now. And what we really need to do is turn into one another and, and the world would like really be a better place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Isolation is the worst thing, especially when you're a new mom or, or a mom and you have nobody to talk to about what's going on inside your head or what's going on in your life. And you feel like nobody understands it and you feel like you're going to be judged. That's why postpartum has become so huge because these women don't feel like they have anybody to talk to. Yeah. So I think the actionable takeaway is if you're a mom and you're feeling isolated, which is very common, especially if you're a new mom, young baby, go out there in the playground. Don't be afraid. Be bold. I've done it. Like Talk to a random mom, be like, you know, do you want to have coffee? Go to a meetup group with moms and yes, use meet technology, use technology yeah. to then have real life connection. Yeah. It's so um, important. It's so important. It's a game changer. Um, Matthew Walker, who is a sleep expert and researcher, basically said loneliness um, is thought to be now a bigger killer in society than even the obesity epidemic. Um, ice, being isolated and lonely is really really bad for your health, not alone, like for your happiness, you know? Um, yeah, so it is just such a, such an important point. Um, gosh, Amrit Sadna, we have talked about so much. <laughs> so I want to know, um, just some of the practices that you have, um, you know, you said in the beginning that like, you don't think of uh, anxiety free life as a possibility because it's something you're always dealing with. Um, so what are some of the key practices in addition to the ones that you talked about with like breath and food and spices? Mm-hmm connection. You have a really interesting morning routine. Um, Tell us about that. And just any other practices that really help keep you grounded and centered. So my, my morning practice, so in Sikhism, your it's believed that your name is your destiny. So Amrit Sadna means nectar of discipline or nectar of spiritual discipline. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) And so Sadna has been a, a practice since I was very young. I used, I mean, even all through high school, I'd get up an hour before I needed to and do an hour of meditation and, and yoga oh. and then go to school. And honest to God, I think that's what saved my mental state in high school. Um, you know, I have to interrupt and ask, and I know I, I'm, I know I can't be the only one thinking this. Um, and I want to ask this respectfully, which is, yeah. you know, you had this, I mean, your story is so interesting and fascinating. You had this really unique upbringing with religion and meditation and all these like uplifting practices, elevated practices as part of your life, which is so rare. Like most people, even in India, maybe, you know, I grew up there and not everyone has that kind of elevated practice. And yet you, you know, had anxiety or have anxiety and even like had trauma, like somehow, I I mean, it's just hard to put the two together, if that makes sense. You know, like how can they coexist? Yeah. Because... I think that life happens. Right. And you whatever the practices may be. Whatever the practices may be, like um, you can't control that. And um, as a child, you really can't control your environment and you can't, um, you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy in the world. And um, so even with, 
all of that. And, and I'm so grateful for it because I don't know if I'd still be here if it weren't for that. Right. Right. And I think it sounds really heavy, but no, no. I mean, you had all those tools, but you had to deal with life that was happening. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's boys and there's college and there's stress and there's, you know, right. all this right. stuff. And, um, and, you know, mental illness runs in my family. And so that was something that I had to be really uh, right. aware of. Um, and so, yeah, so Sadna became my, um, so Sadna, it, it, I think I said this, but it's just, word for morning for practice spiritual practice and and that became my touchstone and 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 it always has and anytime I've kind of gotten away from it things in life just don't align and so as soon as I start doing it again it it it, they just align again and so um, my morning generally looks like getting up and I dry brush and I do self-oil massage and I take a shower if I'm not on my cycle, I'll do a cold shower depending on how I feel for the day. Not good uh, cold shower on your cycle. You're not supposed to cold shower on the first three days of your cycle because it makes your um it gets your blood pumping more and you just don't want to do anything. Right. It's just like inverting when you're on your cycle. You you're not supposed to invert when you're on your cycle either because it just it goes against the natural flow of things. It's so funny, TMI, but I'm, you know, literally on my cycle now and I always take a cold shower. And this morning I was like, you know what? I don't feel like a cold shower today. Yeah. I'm just gonna skip it. It feels like <laughs> just not it's so interesting. And I didn't even think like I don't invert in yoga when I'm on my cycle, but um that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, and so, and same thing. You're not supposed to like pump your navel. You're not supposed to do breath of fire or anything like that if you're mm. if you're on your cycle or past the first trimester of your. Um, yes. Um, and then I um, head into the kitchen and I make my my adaptogenic latte. And sometimes Ooh, what's that? Latte, sometimes it's coffee. Um, generally, it changes. So I kind of ask my body. I'm like, what What do you need today? Do you need reishi? Do you want ashwagandha? Do you want some chaga, like what, like what's my body feeling? Um, like right now I just, my cycle just finished and I, my body was asking me for ashwagandha for like the last five days. And so I did that. So I do homemade nut milk and coffee and some sort of adaptogen. Um, and that I'll do it. That is sounding so good right now. It's so good. A half of a date and some <laughs> cardamom and cinnamon or oh, some man, stuff. <laughs> You might and have to I, do a little recipe on my Instagram feed. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And then I do a tablespoon of ghee. Mm-hmm. Um, in, the, in the latte. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I blend it up and, and um, go sit in front of my altar and grab my journal and I'll do um, a meditation and just depends on, on the day or if I'm doing like a 40-day practice or a 90-day practice. Um, and I journal the three things I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. journal, um, three affirmations for the day. And, um, like this morning I did a full moon journaling, but a lot of times I'll do like a future journal, which is like how I want to feel in five years. Where am I? What have I done? What have I accomplished? Um, and then I, I, you know, I always light some Palo Santo and a can- candle and then I say a little prayer and, and that's usually how I start my day. And it makes a world of difference when I don't do it. I notice it throughout the day. Yeah. And I know my moms listening are like, oh my God, that sounds dreamy and amazing. And I, I know I don't have kids. <laughs> no, I want to say that the reason I think it's amazing because guess what? We don't have to do it in that order. You also don't have to do it first thing. Like I exactly. have to kind of 
play around with the morning. So I will do what I don't, I do a lot of what you do, but sometimes I'll do it post school drop off. So I'll drop my son to school. I'll go sit in the park and I'll do a meditation. I'll do my affirmations and I'll do my great gratitude journal, which is an app on my phone called grateful. And it makes me write down three things I'm grateful for. My affirmations are just things I wrote down that I want in my life that may not be true yet, but they will be someday because I'm saying them out loud and I'm taking action towards them. And, you know, so it doesn't have to be like at 5 a.m. or like at 6, 7 a.m. when the kids are running around. Like it can just be at any point in the morning to sort of set the tone for the day. And it also doesn't have to be that long. No. Um, And it's all about really what it's all about is making a commitment to yourself and giving yourself even 10 minutes every day. So if you just like sit with your tea or your coffee and all you get is your eyes closed and you and you you say three things you're grateful for or you say a prayer or some mantras and you and that's it that's the best place to start because it'll build you'll you'll notice you'll be like oh well I want to do a little more I want a little more time like I want to you know do this and that's what works for me so you have to find what works for you maybe maybe going for a walk for 10 minutes and listening to some you know like some mantra music is is what your morning practice is or you know um like sitting with a book, like a, like a spiritual book or, you know, a self-help book or something like that. And reading, reading that for 10 minutes, it's, it does not have to look like mine. I've, I have, I mean, I've been doing this since I was like 11. So I've have 20, 21, 22 years, um, doing this. And, um, it's just about finding what works for you. Life's not about doing everything perfectly. It's about finding the little moments throughout the day that you connect with yourself and you truly are honest with yourself. And I find that through that self-care, that's when you truly come into like loving yourself and it, it grows over time. Beautifully said. And I rarely go over an hour with my guests that we have to sign that we have so much to talk about and you have so much amazing stuff to share. Amrit Sadna, where can people find you on the interwebs? You're yes. on Instagram. I'm on the gram. I'm body bliss life. Um, on the bland, on the, on the blam, on the gram and, um, www.bodyblisslife, www. Yeah. I said that bodyblisslife.com if you want. And you do one-on-one coaching, um, mostly with clients suffering from anxiety, but you said you are also getting into group coaching. Yeah. So my one-on-one must be like the, the, you know, just, yeah, exactly. Leveraging the tools that, uh, the times that we live in and the tools that we have. Absolutely. Creating the community, the one-on-one coaching, you do not have to suffer from anxiety. I have clients of all things, but my main kind of niche is helping women heal their relationship with their mind, body, and spirit. And um, whether that's that's through anxiety work or f- food, food work or creating a spiritual practice or whatever they need, I'm here to support them in that. And then the group coaching will start in September. And that's going to be a very small group of eight women and, and creating that community so that people have the support they need. Um, group coaching is really powerful so love it all thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story your wisdom your tips um yeah hope to have you back on the show thanks i would love to come back (laughs) all right and guys thank you so much for listening i will catch you on the next episode of mom light